we want to we want to dive in uh, and continue the series. It's called Goliath, and uh, this is the last week of that before we kick off something new next week. We start getting toward Christmas. Um, I want to do something. I hate doing that. I just feel kind of bad doing this. I, I, I do want to throw somebody else under the bus to start my talk. Usually I like to throw myself under the bus because it's very easy to do and i got plenty of material. But I'm going to throw somebody else under the bus and it's not out of superiority. God knows that I'm like uh, living proof that God is patient, okay, right here in front of you. But uh, I knew this guy. I, I used to live in Menlo Park, California. I served at a church there for five years. I knew a guy in his 70s out there. And I just have to tell you, um, he was one of the grouchiest people I've ever met. Uh, he just, he was so grouchy. And what was interesting was he's actually a real involved person in the church back there. It's a really big church. And he had been there for like 50 years. He liked to make sure that you knew that. And he kind of like would go along and stir up trouble wherever he could. I mean, anytime, anything, it just felt like he was like he was born to be breed conflict and was grouchy about everything. And it just was like, oh my gosh, uh, let me ask you, so we'll just call him old man Menlo, okay? Um, let, let me ask you a question. For those of you who have been a part of a church before, does that story surprise you? You ever, you ever run into people that are grouchy, that are part of a church? Is, is this a shocking story that I'm sharing with you? No. All right, we're used to this kind of story. Here's what I want to ask you. Shouldn't it be shocking? Shouldn't it be shocking that someone could walk alongside Jesus in a community, Jesus who is all-powerful, who can do anything, who can change anyone, Jesus who loves us, Shouldn't it be shocking that somebody could walk in community like that for 50 years at least and end up in a spot where they are just grouchy? How is that possible? Shouldn't that be shocking to us? And if it's not, why not? How is it? Think about this. How is it that we all know people that maybe you know that would say, you know what, I'd I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist. Maybe, maybe you're one. I don't even believe in God. I don't believe God exists. How is it that we all know people that might fall into that category who are more generous, more humble, more empathetic than people who have been a part of a church community for years? How is that possible? Shouldn't that shock us? If Jesus is in the business of actually transforming people, and changing lives, what in the world is going on when we meet old man Menlo? And I'm asking for myself because I'm afraid I'm going to be that someday. Guys, we've been working on the series Goliath, Facing Your Giants. A couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about what does it take to actually be the kind of person that would want to fight your giant. So just... If you haven't been around, re recap the story real quick. The Goliath story in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17 is two armies facing each other across a hill, valley in the middle. They're, you know, squaring off. The Philistines send out a guy who's this huge guy, Goliath, and he says to the Israelite army, bring over your best guy, we'll fight, winner take all. 
and the, all the Israelites are afraid. Nobody wants to fight him. For 40 days they hear him. And then finally this guy, David, steps up and says, I will fight him. Goes out, takes some rocks, plants one in his forehead, and Goliath dies. Classic underdog story, but oh my goodness, so much more. And there is so much in this story. And today I want to point out two things in this story that I actually think have the opportunity, have the chance to transform who we are and move us away from becoming old man Menlo and transform us into someone that God wants us to be. I know that's a big claim, but I really believe it. I think there are a couple clues in this story that could help every single one of us in this room move toward what it means to be the person that Jesus wants us to become, the kind of person that's ready to fight our Goliath. So I want to... I we're not going to go through the whole story again, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a little bit of the story, just a snippet of it today. And I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, verse 32. This is when David steps up and says, he will fight him. And I want you to watch what happens here. So verse 32 says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him, right? That's the great, I'm ready to go, man. Count me in. I'm going to go fight this guy. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about David's preparation for this in a second because what Saul says is interesting. Saul is the king. Shouldn't Saul be the one out there fighting, by the way? But this is what Saul says to David. Saul says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. It's, it's impossible. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. Okay, I actually don't blame Saul for being skeptical. If a young guy came up, you'd be like, all right, this is just the young guy who's all hot-headed. However, isn't it interesting that Saul, who's the king of Israel, the king of God's people, the guy who ought to be walking with God day by day, probably for the longest of any of these guys, like, that Saul doesn't at least take a second and go, ah, oh, man, David, that's pretty cool, but let me, can I pray about that before we send you out there against it? He doesn't even have that moment. His response is just, don't be ridiculous. This is old man Menlo. Now, David, however, has a different read on this, obviously, because he's ready to go. What is it about David that moves him there? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I think there's more to be said. And so I want to dive into these next passages, and I want to look, us to look for these couple clues that I think can actually help prep us for the giants that we're going to face. So I'm going to read you just the first little next sentence in verse 34, and then we're going to pause, because I, I just want us to think about this for a second before we get on to the rest of it. Here, here's the beginning of verse 34. Saul says, you're ridiculous. David says, you know what? I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, let's just pause there for a second. Does that strike you as great preparation for battle? I, what's your impression of shepherds? Uh, think about that for a second. Do you know a shepherd? I, I don't know any shepherds. But here's my impression of a shepherd. They find a rock. They get a stick with a little crook on it. And they sit there and they watch the sheep. And they make sure that they get their food and their water. And if they're talking, maybe they pet them. But 
they count. This is how I perceive them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Boring. Right? Come on, how long would you last as a shepherd? I think I, I give myself like two hours and I'm out. There is no way I've got the patience to do that. Boring, mundane, meaningless, day after day. Does that sound like your life at all sometimes? When the alarm goes off tomorrow morning and you hit it, you wake up, you get into the same old shower, you put on the same old clothes, you get in the same old car, drive to the same old work where you'll deal with the same old people and the same old problems. Or you're in school and you got, you know, next Monday when you go back to class, it'll be the same old teachers talking about the same old stuff, trying to get the same old grades, you can get into the same old college, whatever. Sometimes our lives are just mundane and boring and can feel completely meaningless. And yet, David leads with this. Look at my resume. I've been tending sheep. Guys, I think David actually knew something that we need to know. Look at this up here on the screen. Meaningless moments. This is what David knew. This is the first thing I hope we get today. Meaningless moments are shaping us for the moment. David understood something that Saul did not and old man Menlo did not. The meaningless moments that you will face when you leave this room, when you get in your car, when you walk through the rest of your day, those meaningless moments are actually shaping you into the kind of person that God wants you to be. Or, conversely, they're not. Because we miss them. I want us to look at that for a second. Because we will face, today, you will face boring, mundane, meaningless, and even just flat out annoying. I, I did something this week out of the advice of a friend I'd never done before. This was super fun, and I want you to try this sometime. I, I started my first ever annoyance journal. This is Jim's annoyance journal. It was awesome. I started last week on Sunday. I just decided what I was going to do is I was going to write down every day one thing that just annoyed me, no matter how big or small. I was going to write it down. It was, this was really fun. So I started on Sunday, and I wrote down my first thing, and it was the Broncos special team. Super annoying. <laughs> super annoying. I just was furious all day long at that guy who dropped that punt. Not cool. On Monday, I got annoyed because uh, my son Josh strained his Achilles tendon and he had to get his boot on and I wondered how long he'd be out of basketball and how much it was going to cost me. That was annoying. On Tuesday, I got annoyed because I was driving up to Fairview to drop off my kids and I got cut off by a guy and I swear it was Severus Snape from Harry Potter. 
And I had this like internal like debate because I was really annoyed that I like Severus Snape. So I had this like weird thing going on inside of me. Uh, on Wednesday, I got in the shower and there was an issue. I didn't have any shampoo, which may not seem like a big deal to you guys, but <laughs> it's still a big deal. And so I took my shower, no shampoo, and then I tried to get out of the shower and the boys had moved all of our towels into their bathroom. So I got no shampoo and no, no towels. That's annoying. On Thursday, I had the annoying incident of finding my cat drinking out of the toilet. I thought dogs were the only ones who were supposed to drink out of the toilet. It turns out that our kids aren't giving cats water at night, so they find water somewhere else, and it happens to be in our toilet. On Friday, I got annoyed because our grocery budget is killing me, okay? We do uh, Dave Ramsey's little every dollar budget. We're down to 400 bucks for the rest of the month, which may seem like a lot to you, but hey, We've got two teenage boys, and we haven't even bought anything for Thanksgiving yet, okay? That's annoying. And then yesterday, I got annoyed when I received an email from an old friend who I knew years ago, who I heard had actually said some things about me that weren't super flattering, and yesterday, he emailed me for a favor. Grr, that is annoying. And then today, I'm going to be annoyed again at the Broncos special teams. <laughs> it just groundhog day, right? Like this. What if, what if me not throwing a brick through the TV screen is actually God's way of preparing me to have patience and keep my anger in check at the people that might be easy for me to be angry with? What if by controlling some kind of like super fast temper at Severus when he cuts me off, what if that is God's way of preparing me for a bigger moment where I'm going to actually need to forgive someone? What if I walked through my day seeing the meaningless moments as preparation that God is using for the moment? I have a friend who goes to this church, told me a story, went on a uh, business trip, checked into his hotel, went up to his room, didn't want to sit up there all night and be bored, he knew the game was on. He goes down to the bar in the hotel, grabs a beer, sits back, starts watching the game. He told me that a bartender started talking to him as a woman. And in his words, she was extremely attractive. They start talking. They start laughing. She brings him a beer. And they start talking and talk, you know, for a lot of the night. Woman at the end of the day, no, no joke, this the words that she said to him. Woman at the end of the night when the game was over came up to him, poured another beer, set in front of him, poured another beer, set in front of her, and said to him, why don't we take these two beers back up to your room? Now my buddy is married with kids, and he's facing the moment. This is the moment that has the chance to tear apart his relationships, his life, right here. And you know, there has to be some element of thinking, this is an attractive woman, I'm on the road, nobody could know. That crosses mine. This is the moment. He told me what he said to her. I thought this was amazing. He looked at her and he said, something to the effect of, you know, you seem really wonderful and fun. And you have to know that I absolutely love my wife. And so I'm sorry. And that was it. It was gracious. And it was clear. 
he told me something after that that kind of blew my mind. He said, you know what, Jim? You know what helped me face that giant? The thing that helped me face a giant like that is, yes, I will write her a note from time to time. Yes, I will bring a flower home for her. Yes, I'll, we go out on a date night. The thing that actually prepared me for that moment, though, was when we get in a fight. And during that time, I'm praying, Lord, help me to communicate well and be patient. The thing that actually prepared me for that giant was when she's just doing something that, frankly, is annoying me. And I'm praying to ask God to help me to step into her shoes and have empathy. It wasn't the big moments of romance that prepared him for the moment. It was the annoying moments. It was the seemingly meaningless moments that prepared him to face his giant. Guys, what are the meaningless things that are escaping us right now, today? Guys, it is in session today that God is wanting to shape us through the things that we're probably not even aware of. You know, one of the ways um, I notice in me that maybe I'm not getting this is you can see clues in your life that maybe you're missing the meaningless moments. For me, it's a vacation obsession. I get obsessed with going on vacation. It tells me a little bit that my mind is so like tired of the mundane and what seems meaningless that I want to escape. For some of us, it's vacation. For some of us, it's media. For some of us, it may be a more damaging addiction. We long to escape from the meaningless instead of perhaps saying, I need to embrace this because this is, boom, where I am being hammered out the person that I am going to become. Now, I want to be careful. I am not talking about our relationship with Jesus in the sense of we have to work somehow to get him to love us. That is not what I'm talking about. You are sons and daughters of God. But you know what? It does take some work to become the kind of person that God wants us to be. Nobody drifts and just wakes up someday going, wow, I just, I feel a lot like Jesus. I have become like Jesus today. You don't drift into that. N.T. Wright, a great author, says it this way. He says, here's the real challenge, not just to add one or two more commandments to your list, right? Like we all need that. To set the moral bar a little higher, uh, I'm going to have a hard jump, time jumping. But to become a different sort of person altogether. Saul and David are different people. Old man Menlo and some of the people that I knew in Menlo Park and I know right here in this room are different kinds of people. And I think part of it is because they have embraced meaningless moments in their life that God is using to transform them. There's another key. I want to show this to you. And let's keep going in the passage here. So picking up again from 34, we start with the resume that I, 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 uh, I watch sheep. And here's what we go into next. Now he gets a little bit more impressive on his resume. So David says this, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I, I 
love him, by the way. I just, I picture him at Cabela's right now. So um, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Man, you you can't, he would be a great football coach or something, you know. Um, So that's good. It's kind of like our lives. There's the meaningless and the mundane, but then he has these high moments where a bear or a lion comes and he fights it off, right? His life goes like this, just like ours do, but he's embracing where God is moving in both the highs and the lows. And here is the key. Here's the key that he gets that Saul doesn't get, old man Menlo doesn't get, I often don't get, but we all, let's try to get. Here's, here's the next key. This is in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Don't just read over that. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Man, what would I say for this last sentence if I was David? I might say, my workout routine will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. My skill Fighting, that I've honed fighting lions and bears will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. My ability to shoot a rock in a sling with incredible accuracy will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. No. What David said is, the Lord will rescue me. God, in David's mind, will supernaturally intervene He will show up and he will help me because he's done it before in the highs and the lows. may not be the way that we think it's going to happen, but David has a belief that God isn't like out somewhere there, not sure, on a cloud with a harp, not really in the game. If David were here today, he'd say he's in this room, that God is actually present right now in this space and he cares and he can do something. I wonder sometimes if we believe that. I wonder sometimes if I believe this or not. Truly believe it. Guys, if God is really all-powerful, if God made you knows the number of hairs on your head, right? Not that hard for some of us knows the hair on your head. And not only that, he's got your, his eye on you, but a billion, literally, a billion worlds away where he has made everything. His eye can be there too, right now, with the same kind of detail and attention that he has on you right now in this room and in this space. Do we believe that God, it, that's, that'll blow your mind if you let it sink in, that God has that kind of power. Do we believe that? And do we, believe, do we actually believe that God wants to come alongside us and transform us? If you had a friend who was a genius counselor, who everyone sought out, any kind of advice because, I mean, this person was a genius and this friend said to you, you ever encounter some problems? You know I am there for you. I will spend as much time as you need. I am yours. Wouldn't you be crazy to not involve that person 
in your problem, and yet we have the God of the universe there that wants to come alongside us, and how often do I turn to other sources first, to other things to fix the mundane and the meaningless, instead of seeking the all-powerful God first and foremost. Um, I, I had a chance a few years ago some of you guys all heard of this guy, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, uh, I think, is about as an amazing human being in terms of his understanding of God and writing about God as anybody in the last 50 years. He can get a little heady sometimes on some of the stuff that I have to read a sentence like 10 times to get it. But he, he really is somebody that I just look up to, admire. He died a few years ago. But right before he died, I got invited, this crazy thing, I got invited up to Camp St. Malo up on the Peak to Peak Highway, this little chapel there that you see on the road. I got invited to go up, and it was just like me and like a dozen other people. And we got to sit and listen to Dallas Willard teach for a day. And it was the coolest thing. Um, He's this little guy, and he's kind of like this, he was a professor, and he kind of talks like this, he holds his hands like this, and he talks in this little voice. And he'll, and there's no like, you know, big moments. He's not talking to little kids. But you're just sitting listening to him because he says such profound stuff with everything. Well, so he started talking about prayer. And I sat forward because I'm thinking, man, this could be great because my prayer life's kind of like this, right? I, you know, I have times where I'm really uh, involving God in my life. And then other times there's like, God who? You know, and uh, days go by. And so I'm like this, and he, he, he starts talking about prayer, and he goes, you know why people don't pray, don't you? And I'm like, oh, sweet. He's going to give us some tip. Maybe I need to write my prayers down. Maybe I just need some new technique. Maybe I need to do more what Jesus taught. What's he going to say about it? You know why people don't pray, don't you? It's because they don't believe it works. And I swear he sat for like five minutes and didn't say something else. (laughs) People don't pray because they don't believe it works. I mean, that that hit me. I just started to think, and I wonder this sometimes, have I become too smart for the supernatural? Do I live in the suburbs where, you know, We've got most of what we want. We're highly educated. Have I lost my fire, my spark, my belief in the supernatural? That God actually can intervene in our lives and change us? Have I lost that? Or maybe I don't call on God for another reason. Maybe it's because I've lost my belief in myself. Maybe I do believe that God is actually present and powerful and can come alongside the meaningless moments and actually supernaturally work through my life in them. But maybe I don't believe that I'm capable of changing anymore. Maybe I've tried so many times to be a different person and it just never takes and I finally feel like I'm giving up on me. I want to read to you guys something. This is a, um, 
a friend of mine in this church a couple weeks ago, she sent me a journal entry that she did. And I, I want to read some of it and I'll comment on it a little bit because I think, I think what you'll see in this is an example of someone that I think will never become old woman Menlo uh, because she is walking through the mundane and the meaningless believing that there's a supernatural God that will shape her through it. So let me, let me show you what she wrote. This is her journal she emailed to me. She said, as we strive to be who we are supposed to be, who we are created to be, the enemy sees you as a threat. I love that she wrote that because she understands that there are actually things in this world that are working against you. There are things in this world that do not want to see you become what Jesus has called you to be. And she's not naive to it. You begin to hear lies. You don't believe you can do certain things or be the person you want to be. That's the lie that we were just talking about. I've given up on myself. Those lies are out there. That's the first lie of Goliath. It's almost like Goliath has put fear into you. But what do you have to do? Get up. Put your head up, be covered in the armor of God, and fight back. And here's the phrase that's so important, knowing that Christ has already won. This isn't my power. This isn't my willpower. This isn't my skill. This is a belief in a supernatural God that knows me and loves me, and he's already won. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to involve him. Pray with the authority that is given to you. You throw that stone. You could have been paralyzed with fear and burden and disbelief, but you believed you could fight and you won because God always wins in the end. You win that battle. Doesn't mean you won't have another battle to fight, but at least you are aware and ready for the next time as you constantly commune with the Lord. Amazing indeed. Guys, I, I think this is a great example of someone that is walking through their life and involving God in a way of saying, Lord, would you shape me and would you change me even when I'm changing diapers? Even when I can't stand one more fight between my kids? This is, the, this is, this is what I'm talking about. A person who has taken the meaningless moments with a supernatural God and said, I believe and I'm going to walk with you because of it. It's beautiful stuff. What we want to do is this. I'm going to take a second and we're going to, um, we're going to have communion together. She ended that thing with communing with God. That means to be with God. And there's no better way just practically to say, God, I'm in and I'm, I'm done with my moments being meaningless, I am ready for you to be a part of those moments than to take communion together. If you've never done this before, what we're going to do is we've got some people who are getting up, moving to different stations. What we're going to do is we are going to, uh, in a moment, get up and you can move uh, to different areas. And this is really the moment, this was not a meaningless moment, this was the moment. When Jesus, before he died, the night before he died, is with his followers, he takes bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to him, and he says, eat this, take this. Whenever you eat this, you're going to remember me, right? And then he takes a cup, and he says, this is my blood that's uh, shed for you. Whenever you drink this, it's a sign of the new covenant. 
It's a sign of a promise that I give to you that I'm always going to be your dad. You are my children. I'm your dad. It's an incredible moment to remember God's kind of faithfulness with you. And what I want you to do today, I would love for you to get up and when you're ready, move to one of those stations. There's an allergy-free one that's going to be right directly back this aisle here. Move to one of these stations, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then just think, Lord, what meaningless moments am I missing that you're looking to shape me for the moment? So God, we want to give you today and we trust you and love you. We know that you're here and you're present and you are powerful and you're in this room and you want to shape and change us into the people that you want us to be. Ugh. Man, I wish you'd hurry up on me. But Lord, thank you for these fellow travelers on that journey. And I just pray, God, now as we come to you and we get to celebrate this time with you, that it would have great meaning because we are listening to your voice. And we pray that together in Jesus' name.